puck is dropped, and it's showtime from downtown Winnipeg. Oh, see the blast. Loose puck. Scores! Shankly wires it. Scores! What a stop by Hellebuck. Kyle Connor, Jets go bang, bang, bang. Welcome to Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. Well, we've hit the National Hockey League's All-Star break, so what better time to dive into episode 151 of the Ground Control podcast featuring Paul Edmonds and Jamie Thomas of 680 CJOB. We're going to hear from Dave Poulin in a little bit. Jamie had a chance to chat with him uh, a little bit earlier today as we record this, which is uh, kind of a day before the skills competition at the NHL All-Star festivities. But guys, before we get into that, uh, and all the all-star stuff that obviously Josh Morrissey, Connor Hellebuck heading down there to represent the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, you'll want to keep an eye on Jets socials and whatnot for all of the great content coming out of that weekend. But I'm curious what you guys would classify as your favorite moment or game from the first 52 games or so that the Winnipeg Jets have played. And I'm sure the chemistry that you guys have on the radio, you guys will know exactly <laughs> who's going to go first on this one. There's going to be nobody talking over anybody at any point as I throw this up in the air for both of you to have. I'll start. Go ahead. There we go. Thank you. Thank (laughs) you, Paul. (laughs) Exactly what I thought you were going to do. Well, there's been, and I'm not trying to bully my way into this either. No, no. Not against need a starting point. So I'll start. I mean, there's obviously Jamie and I could probably pick out a top five if you really wanted to, but that's not what the exercise is about. It's to, Mm maybe single out one game that you really liked. I mean, there's been a, a number of them where they've played very well. I mean, the Tampa game at home, you think about that. But the one singular game for me that I think encapsulates exactly how you want the Winnipeg Jets to play, exactly how they have improved this year, and what you're expecting, I think, in most of the 30 games that remain, because there are going to be some some nights where you just don't have it that is obviously going to be part of it. It's 82 games. You're not going to be as fresh as a daisy every single time that you take to the ice. But the one for me was January 13th in Pittsburgh. And from that standpoint, it was flawless defensively. They did not allow a point to either Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin. They had their backup goaltender that was David Riddick that played uh, outstanding um, in only his 11th game of the year. They had 40 plus shots directed at the goal for Pittsburgh and they were convincing in the victory that was 4-1. I mean, it was awesome. The whole game, the 60 minutes was just, they just kind of squashed the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I think what really resonates out of that game for me the most, and the Philadelphia game can be thrown in there for this exact reason as well, because they hadn't won in Philly in 10 years was that in the last eight games against Pittsburgh, they were one, six and one. I mean, this was a place where the points were really hard to come by. Never mind two points, but one. And Winnipeg went in and probably had one of their best games of the year, as far as I'm concerned, for the way that it laid out over the entire 60 minutes. As I mentioned, they were very good defensively, scored enough goals, had pucks driven toward the net. They just stifled the Pittsburgh Penguins. And for me, January 13th will stand out as being the beacon of probably one of the best games they played. And the game that I think that they'll try to reach to more times than not in the final 30 games of the regular season this year. 
Uh, I'm, I actually thought about the Penguins game because of all the men, reasons that Paul just said there. But I'll go back to like November, end of November. And whenever the Jets played Carolina, it is, uh, Paul Brees called it a real grinder. They played fantastic for the majority of the game against a very good hockey team. And now Carolina is playing with the hottest teams in the NHL. They're up 3 nothing, And I know this is a weird game to think of, but they allow three goals straight out of the goaltenders pull. And Carolina keeps putting more and more pucks behind David Riddick. But the fact that they go on and win that game in overtime on Josh Morrissey's overtime winner, that's a game they lose last year. And I think, one, the opponent is speaks to how well the Jets were playing that game and the fact they're even up 3-0 on Carolina and the fact that they hung in there and fought off the fact they gave up a 3-0 lead to go on to win in overtime. I know they've had a lot of overtime magic this year. They're 7-1 in, in overtime this year, but that one stands out to me because I know there's a lot of grumbling going on uh, in the stands. It was a home game, but the fact that they fought off blowing a 3 nothing lead to win in overtime uh, stands out to me a lot. Yeah, and I'll just give my my quick one here. In terms of uh, just overall performance, I think you can also look at, uh, I believe it was a 5-1 win against the Vancouver Canucks in December. And that was kind of in the middle of the Jets have no players. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there was so many injuries, so many regulars out of the lineup. But guys just continued to step up. Your difference makers were your difference makers. And it just felt like all night that night, outside of the power play goal that Vancouver gets late uh, from Bo Horvat, now a member of the New York Islanders, it just seemed like no matter what Vancouver did, there was a jet stick or body in the way. And it was just, it seemed like that was the type of defensive play that I think Rick Bonus was looking for. And then it was just counterattack and offense from the defense. It was pretty much everything that uh, I think the coaching staff would want. Similar, Paul, to the game that you mentioned uh, in Pittsburgh uh, against the Penguins. The other one for me was also late November. It was a 5 nothing win over the Colorado Avalanche. That, yeah, you know, they're missing Landeskog. But at the same time, you know, Colorado is always a tough out. And I remember thinking after that game, like, you know, yeah, we're, we're a couple months into the season. So, you know, it's not like you could say like, oh, it's super early still in the year. But you get that kind of statement win against the defending Stanley Cup champions, a team that's in your division. I just remember thinking in my head, like, you know, there's there's something here. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was like I needed that game to, to confirm it or, or whatever it may be, but it was just kind of one of those. OK, this is this is something here. Uh, so that was probably the ones uh, that stood out for me. Uh, I'm the host, so I get to pick two. Uh, <laughs> as we headed, like I mentioned, uh, the all-star break uh, going on right now, obviously Josh Morrissey and Connor Hellebuck there for the Winnipeg Jets. I'm tasking you guys with with picking our second team all-stars, guys that maybe didn't end up in Florida, but we feel possibly could have. Obviously, there's a few guys that could probably fit into this category. Uh, Paul went first last time, so let's go with Jamie, who uh, who makes your second team all-star for the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Mark Scheifele because uh, a lot of eyes were on him at the start of this year. Um, he had mentioned it's a fresh start. You'd, and the way, you know, the, the consistently asked anytime you, we, we did radio, radio availabilities was about Mark Scheifele and his comments that he made at the end of last year. Um, I think the fresh start and Rick Bonus discussing with him and his 200 foot game has improved immeasurably this year. He's up to 30 goals, 31 goals, actually. Uh, I just think there's a lot to like about uh, Mark Scheifele's game. It's a dramatic change from last year is his, it, it feels like there's a weight lifted off his shoulders. He's uh, very engaged this year, had some great discussions with him in the dressing room. So uh, I, w- I, I think Mark Scheifele could have 
Fergus had gone to uh, Florida in the All-Star game. I had Mark Shifley down as a point of reference. I mm-hmm. do like the fact that 31 goals has him eighth overall. But I look at a little bit more on the balance side, and I think that Pierre-Luc Dubois or Kyle Connor could have gone for what they have contributed this year, and maybe more Kyle Connor because he does have a few more points than Pierre-Luc Dubois. But I will say this. In terms of Pierre-Luc Dubois, he's on pace for a career year in goals and points. He's a point-per-game player for the Winnipeg Jets. And I always look at leadership, and while he does not wear a letter, at those players that bring others with them. And Pierre-Luc Dubois, for me, has done that this year by the way he has played, both, I guess, figuratively and, and certainly in the example sort of aspect of it away from the game in a sense that when you get a guy that's playing like a bull, others will just follow the way he plays. And then the other part of that is he drags other opposition players with him. And you've heard Rick Bonas talk about this, that there's been you know, not one guy trying to defend Dubois, but two. Well, that opens up ice for the other line mates that he has um, because that's an odd man situation that now you're creating with a little bit of open ice. So for me, Pierre-Luc Dubois, 22 goals, 52 points, 52 games, point-per-game player. He could be a guy that would be selected. But I'm leaning toward Kyle Connor because of 59 points in 52 games, 24 goals. You know, he's he's got – and this doesn't make anything in terms of how you're going to sway a voter for All-Star, but, you know, he's hit some milestones this year as well, right? Like, you know, the, the 400 points, 200 assists, 200 goals, all of that. But I also look at these two guys because if you're a point-per-game player, and you're a minus player in the plus minus, you're not really helping the cause offensively. And there's still a little bit of a liability there. And both the two guys that I've singled out are a plus player. And Dubois is a plus nine, Kyle Connor is a plus six. I know that it's a bit of an old analytical metric, but I still believe that over time, plus minus does give you a real good um, reach into how this player is in terms of a 200 foot game. So while I applaud Mark Shifley in the 31 goals, and he probably could have got a nod, I think Pierre-Luc Dubois probably could have got a nod as well. But for me, it would be Kyle Connor based on the fact that while I guess the goals are a little bit down from last year at this point, the points are still there and he's contributed immeasurably to the Winnipeg Jets on that line with Pierre-Luc Dubois. And I think that when you look at it, uh, he's probably the guy that uh, is on the outside looking in that probably if there was an opportunity for a third placement of a Winnipeg Jet, he would be that guy. And let's not forget that he has 10 minutes in penalties this year as well. So he's playing a little harder and a little meaner. Like yeah, he's sitting a couple of minutes away from 100 in his NHL career, another milestone just sitting right on the cusp of that. But it's hard to know when he's going to get that extra minor. And Paul, I was I was thinking Kyle Connor for this uh, as well. Uh, obviously, Mark Shifley's got um, a, a great case to be made as well. Pierre-Luc Dubois. And I just remember, you know, when I think it was – he had two goals for the first 14 games and he's sitting here and he's got 24 through 52. So like, I remember seeing a stat, you know, very early, I think, or even late in January where Kyle Connor's goal scoring was right up among some of the, the elite in the NHL for that stretch of time, from the time that he had two goals to the time that he had, I want to say 24, it was some 
some crazy stat in terms of, you know, the, the type of names that he's around and, you know, you don't have to tell anybody in Winnipeg, uh, just the kind of player or, uh, how good or how elite Kyle Connor is and obviously earned his first NHL all-star nod, uh, last year. And he was able to show that at the highest level. So certainly Kyle Connor was probably the one, uh, that stood out to me, but like you guys said, there's a, there's a number of guys that, that you could make a case for. And, you always part of me is always going to wonder if Nick Ehlers doesn't uh, miss a whole bunch of games where he'd be at. Cause certainly since he came back from, from his injury, he's been over a point per game player and, and a lot of fun to watch. Jamie, you talked to uh, Dave pool and I'll let you tee this one up. Uh, Dave pool, of course of TSN sports uh, done some Jets games this year. He, I asked him about why he's not surprised where the Jets are this year. He, of course he had Rick bonus as a coach when he was in Boston uh, why Connor Hellebuck's elite, and he got to play with and against Dale Howarchuk at the All Star Game when, back in Paul and I's day, the All Star Game used to be very competitive. And he talks about why that that can't be that way, but just the type of player that Dale Howarchuk was, and he played with him at the R- Rendezvous '87 when uh, the, the NHL All Stars faced faced off against the Soviets. So uh, here's that conversation. Shop where the players shop. Jets Gear and TrueNorthShop.com are your authentic team stores. Make sure to stock up on all your favorite Winnipeg Jets and Manitoba Moose merchandise today. Visit one of the five Jets Gear locations or shop online at TrueNorthShop.com. Hi, this is Josh Morrissey, and you're listening to Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. Dave, uh, as we were recording this, we're on the cusp of another All-Star weekend, but before we get to that, we'll get to the Winnipeg Jets and your 65 points or second place in the Central Division, their second place in the Western Conference. Did you see this coming when Rick Bonus took over as head coach in the offseason? I think I've seen the team coming for four years now. Yeah. Um, yes. You know, and I had the advantage of having played for Rick Bonus, albeit very early. I played on his very first team as a head coach. Yeah. Which is a crazy thought. Um, yes. In Boston. Yeah. In 92, 93. So I've known Rick a long time and watched what he did, particularly, you know, along the way. And his strength was always defensive structure. And he could get a team to play better defensively. And if there was a missing element over the last few years, that's what you would argue it was. Now, you could say, well, okay, well, what team can change out all four of their top defensemen? within a year and mm-hmm. everybody gone one summer, literally, which is yeah. what happened to Winnipeg. And so it takes time. And, you know, even to say that, you know, four of the new members are acquired by a trade, you know, or it is to trade in the NHL right now. And everybody proclaims you can't make a trade and Brendan Dillon and Nate Smith and Dylan DeMello came by trade and uh, Neil Pionk came by trade and you've been able to do it, you know? So it's taken time. It's arguably taken more time than I thought it was going to. And then Pierre-Luc Dubois was another variable in there. And it took yeah. some time to settle in. And, and I think with, with Rick, what he's been able to do, Jamie, is, is better, I don't know what the right word is, better communicate the availability of roles within a team mm-hmm. where you can have two first-line centers. And there shouldn't be, you know, I welcome the thought of, another player coming in who did what I did. Cause then now there were two of us. I didn't look at it as a threat. Mm-hmm. And I think they had to work through some things there with, with Mark Shifley and, and Pierre-Luc Dubois. And, you know, so call me what you will. 
uh, who's the first line on the team? <laughs> I don't know. Who's the second line? It's hard I don't to tell. Know, but, yeah. but if you said to me, and I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. I got traded from Philadelphia to Boston and for Kenny Linsman straight up. And the first presser I did in Boston, the first question I got, it was late January, was, are you okay being a third-line center? Because the guy you were traded for couldn't accept being a third-line center. Yeah. And my answer, Jamie, was, do I get to go on every third shift? <laughs> and they just laughed. And I said, if I get to go on every third shift, isn't it up to me to determine what I am yeah. by my play? Mm -hmm. and so if you said you know, to the first two lines in Winnipeg, because there's clearly two, in my mind, there are two number one lines. Mm -hmm. And you said, okay, I don't know which one of you is the number one line, but you're going to get to go on every second shift. Mm -hmm. At that point, is it up to them to determine <laughs> who yeah. is what? Yeah. And maybe it was a fresh voice to do it in Rick. And, and I like the fact that the components of those lines have changed from time to time. Because maybe with who you're playing, Cole Perfetti's better there, or maybe Nikolai Ehlers is better there, or mm -hmm. you know Wheeler and Shifley are so good together. But sometimes it's a refresher when you go in and see Wheeler's name beside Pierre-Luc Dubois. So mm -hmm. I think the luxury of it is something that Rick had and recognized. And maybe he recognized it, Jamie, from coaching against it. Right. And I think, you know, and, to, and, and those fresh eyes. To, to that point, he always, when he spoke with Josh Morrissey, and when he spoke to us about Josh Morrissey, he said when he was in Dallas, their game plan was to contain number 44. Maybe that, and saying that to Josh Morrissey, got the, the, the wheels turning a little bit more about how much of an elite player he was. So to, to, to that, are you surprised that Josh Morrissey has obliterated personal bests and assists and points already? He'll get to goals eventually, but just where he, the this, this step he's taken in a short period of time in just 52 games. I'm pleasantly surprised. I, I'm not surprised. I've always been a huge George, Josh Morrissey guy back to his draft. And, mm -hmm. you know, that year we had, we ended up with two picks in the mid twenties. We traded up for the second. We knew he wasn't getting to us, um, mm -hmm. but Dave Morrison, our head amateur scout at the time, loved Josh Morrissey, loved him. Mm -hmm. And so I heard, I heard a lot about a player I wasn't going to get to choose. In the draft. <laughs> <laughs> so I was always so respectful. I Mo and I used to have these funny conversations, and and um, you know we actually home visited a couple of kids the, the old college way, and and you know I remember him. And it'll take you all the way back to Ryan Johansson, who was in tier two hockey at the start of the year, and then was on a college route, and Mo was saying like, "How?" got a young kid and it's a centerman and he was going to play college and now he's going to go major. And you might have to get me up a little higher in the draft to get him. And then as the year went on, you might have to get me a little higher in the draft to get him. And I was like, okay. I can't get you to fourth overall. More like, it's a nice thought, but, but that's yeah. the way it was with Josh Morrissey as well, where, you know, that year, that's the player you're seeing now was the player that was there in junior. And that's, that was the profile of that player. And, and it, it took time for a lot of reasons. It took time because think of the first teams that he joined and where he was on the hierarchy of that group with Buffalo mm -hmm. and Truba and, and Sherratt and, and Tyler Myers. And naturally, a young kid was lower in hierarchy. But the emergence of him, and I, you know, you, you, it's fresh eyes that say, do you know how good you are? <laughs> and sometimes it takes a player 
And sometimes it takes the maturity and age too, Jamie, though, to say, I'm also willing to accept that role. And I thought that last game before the great, the break is exactly what he did. Mm -hmm. He accepted the role. I know I'm leading from the exact skates I skate in, not from another seat, not from another role. My skates are leading the way, and that's exactly what he did in, in a huge win before the break. Um, I think it's so, when a team underachieves, sometimes people look at the goaltender as the issue. Connor Hellebuck is, a, is now a three-time All-Star, and constantly when I got asked through the offseason where the Jets have to do to get back to the playoffs, it, just, it begins with number 37. Is it fair or unfair that goaltenders are, are treated this way or are graded this way on team success? Because um, there's just so many other variables that go into when a team doesn't make the playoffs outside of the goaltender didn't play as well as they thought they should. I look at it as a compliment. I think they're that important. Mm -hmm. I just do. And in, in, in true, terms of a true, like a true number one, I can play 65 games in the NHL right now. How many are there? Not many. I mean, you might be you might be on one hand, and if you're getting off the first hand, you're just getting to the second hand. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe seven. Right. You know, you throw Soros in there, and 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 you know, maybe seven, maybe eight, but that's being generous. So I think it's a compliment to Connor Hellebuck because they're that important. They really are, and it's that much of a luxury to have them because it's interesting now the philosophy, Jamie, that you know, you need two to win and you have to have a pair. Well, the guys that say in that don't have one. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. Isn't that true? Yeah, right? that, that, that clears up the whole conversation. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Doesn't it? Yeah, I, I, I tend to simplify things, Jamie. I don't want to complicate this. Okay? Right, right, right. And, yeah. uh, if I don't have something, I'm going to tell you, my two are just as good as your one. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, All-Star Weekend is upon us. It's not going away. It's a it's a corporate sponsor dream. It's what the NHL does to reward its its corporate sponsors and the fans for that matter in the cities that they're at. So if there is there any way in your opinion to improve All Star Weekend outside of what they're doing right now? I think you know, I, I don't think you're going to get a game of the caliber of some of the games that I played in. Yes. Again. Yeah, yeah. And the first one I played in was four to three. Mm -hmm. Oh, wasn't it late? First overtime? Period, uh, no, it was late in the game, I think it was. I don't, I don't okay. think it went to overtime. It was late okay. in the game. Brian Prop scored the game winner. Mm. And um, and in the first period, Toronto was a member of the West, and mm -hmm. their hot shot rookie, Wendell Clark, <laughs> ran Mario Lemieux in the first period. <laughs> like, big hit. And, <laughs> you know, it's my first All-Star game. Yeah. And I remember in the locker room at the end of the first period, Mario said something about, hey, you know, somebody might want to run Gretzky out there. And somebody else said, yeah, not a good idea. He's got nine <laughs> teammates here. Yeah. <laughs> so, you look at the roster, yeah, like, was there anybody were... else from the Oilers they could put on there? It's yeah. Like... <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, speaks to their Hall of Fameness. Yes. But uh, it was a very different game. And mm -hmm. I don't think you'll ever get back to that. So put that aside. Um, I don't want to get back to where it went shortly after that when it was 23 to 25 on five. I don't think mm -hmm. that. So they've tried to tweak it and they've tried to adjust it and, and you know, let the creative, I, I would let the creative minds that understand 
am I going to put this, that understand what the next gen wants to see mm -hmm. and let them have it. Right. You know, let the potential fans, this isn't for the true hockey fans. Um, when I say that, the game itself isn't for the true hockey fans. The skills are the skills. Mm -hmm. And in 86, they came in, Jamie, and Brian Trotje might have been the head of the Players Association then. And he said, yeah, they tried to get us to agree to some skills competition type of thing. And, and we just said, no, we're not doing that. Right? <laughs> we're just not. And, you know, in that locker room itself, Bossy and Trotje and Larry Robinson and Ray Bork and Matt Snazlin and Peter oh, Stasny. And it was just yeah, awesome names. Yeah, yeah. And they said, no, we're not, uh, we're not doing a skills competition. We're just, we're just not doing that. And, but I think if you let the creative, and I would say the creative people projecting what's ahead, let mm -hmm. them find things where to make it a great weekend. And you are right. I've, I've had the fortune of being at three of them as a player, but I was all one, the middle one was rendezvous. So it was a little bit different, but I've also covered them, you know, as, um, as a, an analyst or a, a hockey guy. And I did Tampa, I did San Jose. So I've done a few of them and yeah. they're fun. They they're are fun. fun. And I agree. It, you are right for the player though, Jamie, I think there's a huge importance for the young player, Josh Morrissey going to his first one. And, and I can tell you when you sit in that locker room for the first time, and he, I know he's experienced cool things in life, but when you mm -hmm. sit for the first time and you look around at the nameplates and the jerseys as they hang in the locker room, yes, and you wander over to the coffee machine and you wander up to whomever it is, it's pretty cool. And for <laughs> me at that point, it was Bossy and Trache and, and, you know, who I battled Flyers, the Islanders and, and, you know, it was Peter Stasny who I had so much respect for. And it, it, it was Larry Robinson. And you'd say, that's cool. And what are they going to take back from that? Mm -hmm. What is he going to take back from a conversation that he has? Um, maybe it's with someone on the other team. Maybe it's a Patrice yeah. Bergeron or, you know, or, you know, that type of player. And I look at, I say Bergeron because last year it was Suzuki and Bergeron. Mm -hmm. I remember them on the ice before the skills competition you know, and, and I don't know which one went up to which one, and that doesn't matter, but just the conversation, what that's what it was worth to me mm -hmm. in terms of my own belief and my own self-esteem and my own, you know, career moving forward was huge. That So let's go through, like, you, 86, 87, 88. 86 was very unique because I believe that was the first year it was the vote-in for the fans. And your teammate at the time, Pelle Lindbergh, was on his way to being probably a Hall of Fame goaltender, had won the Vesna Trophy, a terrible accident, lost his life. Uh, what did it mean to you and your Flyers teammates that year to have him voted in as the, the starting goaltender for the Wales Conference? You may have put closure to it. You know, that mm -hmm. would have been the, the proceeding. It was about four months later, maybe still really close. And I'm not sure you ever put closure to that because there's still yeah. days today when I think about it, but um, to know he would have been there with you, um, you know, it was my first one he had been before, mm -hmm. but also what he meant to that team, what he meant to that team up to that time, but what he meant to that team moving forward, he taught us how to win. He taught us, you know, um, how to be different, how to be special. All those things came into mind um, with, with the respect he got in being voted in posthumously. 
Did you have teammates on the Wales conference come up to you guys and talk to you about Pele at all? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we did. You know, you know what it was with that, Jamie, is, is an opportunity to talk on a different level, which you don't right. get with the opposition players very often. Um, a lot of different people talk to me about that experience mm -hmm. um, in all walks of life, in all sports. Um, I had a long chat about it um, the following summer with Bobby Knight. Okay. Who had a player paralyzed in an accident. I'm trying to remember the player's name. I think his first name was Landon. Um, and, and just what the team had gone through. And, you know, when Bobby Knight walks up to you and starts talking to you about something, you're like, kind of caught off guard, but he wanted to know how the team handled it, how we got through it, how we managed it, mm -hmm. um, and, and how we moved forward from that. So that All-Star game was another step in moving forward from it, the recognition that he received that he would have received being there. Okay, so 86, 87, 88. Um, you played against Howard Chuck in 86 and 88. He was your teammate at Rendezvous in 87. Just go through, like, what playing against him in the NHL, certainly playing against him in an all-star game, and then being his teammate in 87. Way more fun to be his teammate, Jamie. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Way more fun to play in his line. Yeah, yeah. I will tell, you know, I, I think – in Winnipeg, you're spoiled because you know how good he was. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure. It's hard to say a Hall of Famer um, didn't get the recognition he deserved. Because mm -hmm. I think he did. But still, the realization of how good he was, I think, still can slip by some people. And, you know, even playing against him, you only saw him once in a while, right? I'm east to west, so you, yeah. you didn't see him very often. And when they called us together at Rendezvous... Um, First of all, no thoughts of making that team for me. Zero. Zero. No okay. way I'm making a single team from the NHL, any nationality, to play in a world event during the All-Star game. And I, I, I want to get back to that point in a second um, at the mm -hmm. end of this. But, um, you know, so, so I'm, I make the team. We get up to Quebec City. There's a practice on the Monday night. And the first cool aspect, the games were going to be Wednesday and Friday night. And there were all kinds of other events, huge events. So we couldn't skate in the Coliseum. So we had to, it was a snowstorm. We had to put our gear on at the Coliseum and then stick over shoulder, skates on stick, helmet, um, get on the bus. Now think about this. Old school. You're getting on the bus and you're <laughs> watching Gretz and Mario and get on the bus, you know, and traipsing through the snow. And not yeah. a word of complaint. And I always oh, thought about that when, when NHL players would be slightly inconvenienced by something at a practice mm -hmm. or something. Ah, oh, we're going to walk all the way over there. And, yeah. and not a second of complaint. And so um, they called us together, Kevin Janine and, and Dale and I, and they said, okay, Dave, we're going to move you to the left wing. And Kevin, you know what you're going to do in the right wing. And, and, you know, Dale, you'll be in the middle, and we're going to play you against the KLM line, Krutov, Larionov, and, Mako and Makarov, and then oh. Kasatanov and Fatisov, the two defensemen. Yeah. And, and by the way, at that point, I believe they'd been together for 18 years as a line. Yeah. They were put together, or 16 years as a line. They were put together when four of them were 12 and Larionov was 10. And so, and they so said, amazing. you know, Dave and, and, yeah, Dave and, and Kevin, it's pretty clear what you're going to do. Um mm -hmm. But the, and we're kind of quizzically looking at, at Dale, like, you know, why is one of the best offensive players here? And they said, 
because if we do get the puck, we're going to have to keep it. And the best mm. possession player in the NHL is standing between you two guys. Oh. And fascinating look at putting wow. together a team for two games. Yeah. And in the first game, we not only shut down that line, we scored two of the four goals. Yeah. And, and you're the winner. I, I can't explain how much of a factor Dale was in that game. Mm-hmm. And in the second game, I think we had another goal and we shut down that line again. That line in, the, in that tournament, you know, we did a great job defensively against them, largely because of one of the best offensive players in the league was on our side. And when we got the puck, we just gave it to Dale. Right. And did that change how you felt about Dale? I know he's a great player, but there's just another side to him. You must have in a change. Yeah, another, another yeah. level. Yeah, another level. When you have the opportunity to get to know someone, and albeit just you know for a short time like that, and, and mm-hmm. being part of something special with them, um, it changes the way you view them. It didn't change how hard it was to play against them. I can guarantee <laughs> you that. That's... And you have to kind of eliminate that little piece of respect and say, okay, I got to go and play against him now. I yeah. know how hard that is. And, you know, those were such good teams in Winnipeg through that stretch. My goodness. I, I could talk to you about this forever, and I always appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy the All-Star break. You've deserved it. Uh, looking forward to seeing you the rest of the season, Dave. Always a pleasure, Jane. Hey, Jets fans. I'm Sarah Orleski. Don't forget to join me after each and every home game for the Winnipeg Jets postgame show live presented by Budweiser, where you'll get exclusive interviews, in-room access, and more. Catch us on all Winnipeg Jets platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and winnipegjets.com. Big thanks to Dave Poulin for that and taking the time to chat with Jamie. And guys, you look at the Winnipeg Jets schedule. We got 30 games to go. It's, you know, I I know we're in the middle of a break and Mm -hmm. I'm already talking about games that are coming up and the work that has to be done yet. Um, But the Winnipeg Jets got through the toughest two months, I would say, in in their schedule in December and January, playing the most games of any team in the NHL during that uh, December and January stretch. What do we expect coming out of this break after the team gets, I would say, some much-needed days off? Well, I think that February is going to be fine. It's basically a half a month, and you do have some tester games. Colorado's in there. Seattle's coming up. You'll get out of the gate with Chicago, and you hope to win that one and now have two wins in a row, both on the either side of the break. And then you're going to have that trip through New York. And that's always a bit of a tough one, but the travel's easy, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, New Jersey, the uh, they played very well. The Rangers are in the thick of things. The Islanders are hoping to get better. And they just had that big trade, as you mentioned. So that, that will be tough. It will be, I think, arduous again for the Winnipeg Jets in the month of March because mm-hmm. you do have 15 games and it will mirror what you saw a lot in December and January where it's every second night, not a lot of consecutive days off. You're playing a lot of hockey and you're bouncing around a little bit. So I think that if you get through that and you should be well equipped because you're going to have this time off, everybody should be healthy. Uh, It won't be a saunter through February, but you still Mm -hmm. should be okay to have that residual from the break into March when it does get more laborious and you are playing a more strenuous type of schedule. And then I guess you'll look at the final days of, of the regular season and the last six games in April. And, you know, if the juices aren't flowing at that point, because if you had a decent February, a good March, now you're probably talking about where the Jets are situated right now. Are you finishing first? Are you finishing second in your division? I mean, you know, those kinds of things when it comes to playoff seating and home ice become important. 
So all throughout this remainder of the 30 games, we're going to see stages of where the Winnipeg Jets are going to try to get to. Uh, but it will be no less important. In fact, it will be more important the final, I guess, two months of the regular season because half of February, half of April, and then you have all of March. Uh, but I think there's some really intriguing games and blocks of games uh, to take note of. And I do think that none bigger than the entire month of March, that's going to be pretty tough on the Winnipeg Jets, but they've been through it before. And uh, I think the best thing to understand about where you're going is drawing on the experience of the past. And of course, in, in there, the NHL trade deadline, March 3rd, Jets will be in Edmonton on that day. So, I mean, what what direction, where is this going? Who's not going to be here? Who's coming in to the Winnipeg Jets roster? So, uh, with Paul, the schedule gets a little crazy. There's uh, some big tester games in there. But I think a lot of lessons were learned towards the come, the games coming up to the, to the break about not every nice – the games are going to be easy now because, as Brendan Dillon said – Teams are playing for first place. Teams are playing for their playoff lives. So it's only going to get more challenging as this goes along. But I think this rest came at a perfect time. Guys will come out of this ready to go. And um, it's going to be a lot of fun over the next couple of months here. So it's, uh, it's, it's buckle up, everybody. Completely agree. And uh, you mentioned uh, February. It's as the Winnipeg Jets put out the uh, the press release yesterday. The Jets are going to be supporting uh, Black History Month. Ray Newfeld played 249 games for the Winnipeg Jets between 1985 and 1989, racking up 127 points along the way. He's also participating in a special puck drop on February 28th as the Jets honor Black History Month with the official Black History game against the Los Angeles Kings. Now, Newfeld, obviously a product of Manitoba himself, has stayed around the game, whether it's through Jets alumni and friends appearances or the NHL's diversity and inclusion committee. But man, is he ever fun to be around. Uh, I think about him working the room at the draft party last year and oh. his big laugh kind of filling the whatever conversation he was in. I remember shaking his hand and like, I'm six, four. I like to think I'm not a small human, but his hand basically enveloped mine and I've never felt smaller in my life at that point. Uh, just wondering if either of you guys have any Ray Newfeld stories. I'll start Paul. Cause I know you, you grew up here and you know a little bit more about Ray as well, but the, the short time I've been with this the organization and as I've covered this game, it's amazing to me how nice and for tough guys are. And I know Ray wasn't specifically a tough guy, but just how nice and, and grateful they are when you talk, not so much grateful, but just they, they love the game. They love being a part of the game and Ray's been no different. So uh, we, we had him on the podcast, great stories. Uh, it is not, not, you know, some of the things he had to go through were not enjoyable, but the fact that he came out of it being the guy that he is says a lot about Ray Newfeld. So uh, I have all kinds of time for Ray Newfeld and love being around the guy and him and Jordy Douglas were the life of the party at the, at the draft party. So uh, I, I would like to say that the three of us were, but Ray and Jordy <laughs> took that, <laughs> that took that title away from us. Well, I've known Ray for a long time. And of course, being a Jet fan growing up, I remember the trade with Hartford and Dave Babbage and, and all of that. And, and it was tough for Ray to come home. And I think that you can make that application for players that maybe kind of don't want to come back to where they grew up and where they were reared in their hockey careers for or any other sport for that matter, for for reasons that if you don't perform, of course, you're going to hear it. But yeah. Ray has, I, I just think, been able to kind of shrug off a, a lot of that. I mean, he's had to battle all of his life. And what yeah. I liked about Ray is, as Jamie mentioned, uh, and, and even you, Mitch, uh, the the commitment to the alumni. Mm -hmm. And he's been there from from day one. No, he's also involved himself in, in amateur hockey. 
I know he was a coach for the Arburg Ice Dogs in junior B ranks and driving from Winnipeg to Arburg. That's an hour and a half every day and three hours return. Mm -hmm. He also did a lot of uh, analytical work uh, on the radio broadcast with the Selkirk Steelers for a number of years. Um, so, you know, he's been involved and he's always tried to stay involved. And any time that you need a guy to play golf and, and represent the Jets or the National Hockey League, he's there. But probably the best story, and this involves Jordy Douglas as well, so I'm glad that JT brought <laughs> it up. But they are very good friends, right? They, yeah. are, they are real tight. They're thick as thieves, those two guys. And they're a lot of fun to be around uh, when they do get together. But Jordy has this thing about going up to people and introducing himself as Ray Newfeld. <laughs> and, and Ray just rolls his eyes. He just goes with it all the time, right? Like Jordy comes up, hi, I'm Ray Newfeld, you know? And he does it all the time. And it, I don't know how many times I've seen it, but it makes me laugh every single time that he does it. And I think it makes Ray laugh every single time that, that Jordy does it. And that just tells you a little bit about the, the, charisma and and certainly the great nature that ray newfeld is and uh what a pleasure he is to be around and um you know i i can't wait to see him the next time because uh, we always uh, share a great story and a good laugh for sure looking forward to that that game once again february 28th if you want more information on that head to winnipegjets.com that game obviously coming later in february when the jets do return to action on february 11th they'll be taking on the chicago blackhawks and that'll be south asian heritage night all the info for that game also on the winnipeg jets website and coming up on the site in a few days is a feature i did with harner ryan singh who will be in winnipeg that night taking part in a bunch of initiatives around the game as well so to close out this episode of the podcast here's a piece of my conversation with him and his excitement for that night. Exactly. I, I think you hit the nail on the head, uh, Mitchell. I think as a sport, um, you know, we're, we're at this point in time uh, where the sport of hockey, even in this country of Canada, we need to be doing more as a sport to grow the sport, right? And, and so I think these types of initiatives where we as a sport are going to other communities and opening our doors and welcoming them to come in as opposed to just waiting for, uh, you know, new audiences to come in. I think this is very important. And, and what it does is it increases the comfort level within, uh, within the game, within an arena, uh, you know, what you feel about an organization. I, I also think it gives a sense of belonging. And, and when I was a, young hockey fan growing up in Southern Alberta, um, even though I loved the game and I was so passionate about it, when I went to NHL hockey rinks or, or wherever even, you know, within the world of hockey, I didn't always feel a sense of belonging. I didn't feel welcome. Um, and I think if, you know, when I was growing up and we had some of these theme nights, it would have totally changed how, um, how comfortable I was. It took me a long time even now as a broadcaster. First, as a fan, to become comfortable in my own skin as a fan of hockey and then as a broadcaster to be comfortable in my own skin in the in the hockey broadcasting world and the reason being is uh you know i've experienced racism and discrimination in hockey rinks i've been to nhl games as a fan where i've been called all sorts of names um and you know have i've had stuff thrown at me and my friends or my family who went to games and um 
so just this is a very small gesture that a team in the hockey world can do having a theme night where there's some music or food involved that incorporates a different community i mean it's all in good fun and and we're all coming together you know because of the passion of the sport so i think these these initiatives are very important This has been Ground Control, the official podcast of the Winnipeg Jets. For more Jets news, videos, and more, head to winnipegjets.com.